Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. Today, I'm pleased to have two world-class figures in the sport of mountain biking on the show with me. Uh, We have Jim Miller and Christopher Blevins. Jim Miller is head of USA Cycling Elite Athletics, and I like to say he's quite possibly the most successful American cycling coach ever, having played a big part in 14 Olympic uh, medals, numerous world championships, and uh, hopefully more to come in the decades to come. Jim has coached some of the biggest names in USA Cycling, Kristen Armstrong, Lawson Craddock, Kate Courtney, TJ Van Garderen, and our guest, Christopher Blevins. Christopher is uh, a racer for Specialized Mountain Bike Team. He has won his cross-country mountain bike national championships every year from the age 13 to 19. And along the way, he also won national road championships at age 16. Um, He was named to the USA Olympic long team for mountain bike. And in 2018, he won cyclocross national championships as a U23 and also won the silver medal at the U23 cross country world championships. That's a whole lot of victories, Christopher. Thank you guys so much for joining me on uh, the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You know, uh, Christopher, uh, we have this amazing wave of new young talent coming, um, you know, in the U S men's ranks. Um, and a lot of that is centered around Durango, Colorado. I mean, Supcos, um, we have uh, Quinn Simmons, you know, both on the roadside, yourself. Tell us about upbringing in Durango and why it's so special. Yeah, um, it really is a special place. And I've like <clears throat> continuously wondered that, like, what exactly is it, you know, that we're so lucky? Is there something in the oxygen there? Um, you know, you can easily point to the miles of single track right outside our door and uh, great cycling community. Um, and Durango Devo, the youth development program I was on since age 10 till, uh, till I left high school. And, um, I mean, kids like will go to Devo instead of play football in Durango. It's like, you know, the, the normal pathway in a lot of ways. So, um, we just have a terrific youth development program, very supportive cycling, um, you know, scene in Durango. And I think like in the case of myself and, and Sepp and Howard and, the people on the mountain bike, um, in Fort Lewis college, it's, it's kind of like you become ingrained and in just, you know, lo- loving the sport for what it is and adventuring and you kind of get fast accidentally. So like, that's how it was <laughs> on the mountain bike side of things growing up. Yeah. It's sort of like our, our little Belgium, if you will, in the United States, like the talent it's developing is pretty, pretty darn amazing. Uh, Jim, tell us some more about your coaching background. How, I mean, you've had several roles within USA cycling. How long have you been there? And even coaching prior to USA cycling, tell us about your background. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I was born in Durango, so I'm part of the Durango contingent. Oh my gosh. Um, I didn't know that. No way. Christopher, uh, that's amazing. Talk about Belgium roots. I mean, that, that is really is our, our, uh, 
center of the universe. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> it even gets a little bit crazier. Sepp Kuss's dad was my dad's ski coach uh, on the U.S. ski team. And Sepp's dad was actually in the hospital when I was born. What? Yeah. That, it's in the small. water. Oh, my yeah, Lord. Yeah, small world. Wow. <clears throat> so uh, my coaching background, I guess I started coaching in 1992-ish, uh, really with no intentions of, of coaching. Uh, was getting, I was studying exercise physiology, was interested in uh, training, was interested in, in why this worked, but primarily for myself and my own racing and, and trying to formulate my own uh, ideas on how, how to approach training and racing. Um, at the time in, in Fort Collins, Dirk and I were uh, college buddies. We're going to school together. His dad was coaching and uh, his dad's running shop is really honestly about one block from my house, my apartment. So I always go in and try to pretend like I was buying running shoes to ask him questions about uh, training and, and uh, racing. And then just sort of fell into coaching. I had an athlete that asked me if I would coach him. He was riding with me a lot and asked how we came up with training programs. I said, well, I'm really making it up, but I'm trying to put some logic and thought behind it. Uh, that rider ended up having a lot of success, uh, which then rolled into another two or three the next year. And then by the third year of doing it, I had a, a full-fledged business in the 90s that was uh, actually pretty good. At one point in the 90s, I ended up uh, with five coaches that worked for me and about 100 athletes in the in the stable. Yeah. Um, That's a pioneer. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And I think, you know, outside of Joe and Chris Carmichael, I think I was probably the only other guy with that, that sort of, those sort of numbers. And I was in my early twenties at the time. So uh, that's how it started. Um, 2000 after the Sydney Olympics, USA cycling went over, went through a big overhaul and reorg. Uh, I think they lost all their coaching department. Um, at the time uh, I was coaching Kimberly Baldwin and Jessica Phillips who were both women's national champions. Uh, they were probably the next biggest names behind Mari Holden, who would, who was world champion and uh, Olympic silver medalist. And the uh, uh, high performance director at USA Cycling called and asked if I was interested in coaching a women's national team. And which was, was interesting because I had this really good business going. I was making uh, a, a decent living. I was still racing my bike, still, still having fun. Uh, but I really as I thought about it, I'm like, there's the only way at that time to differentiate yourself as a coach was to have this national coach tag to your name. Uh, so I, I said yes. And I had to get rid of my business. I was a part of the deal. And the, the pay for it was about a third of what I was making. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this will differentiate me. I'll, I'll commit three to five years to it. It will help me step out and stand out. Uh, and I'll come back and I'll rebuild it and I'll be able to build it bigger and better because I'll have a better name. Uh, long story short, I've been spending 17 years at USA Cycling, uh, doing about every job in the athletic department that existed. Um, whether it was, you know, marketing, uh, discipline, it didn't matter what discipline I would coach it, uh, track, road, mountain bike, um, cross. I would just, when there was a need, I would just jump in and fill it until we, replace the role or I assumed responsibility for the role and uh, eventually ended up being 
uh, athletic director for about 10 years. Uh, after Rio games, I went to, I went to four Olympic games after Rio. Uh, I was, I was just pretty tired. Um, you can't underestimate the, the difficulty and length of these quads and they just back up one after the other. There's no break. And I, I just started looking around and I was like, I want to do something different. I want to learn something different. I want to be part of something different. Uh, reached out to Dirk and gear, asked them about, uh, working at training piece, which was uh, a wonderful experience. I loved it. Uh, loved the job. Um, loved, loved going to work at that place every day. Um, and learned a ton. I can't underestimate how much I learned while I was there. Uh, and then ended up, you know, a couple months ago, USA Cycling asked if I would be interested in coming back, lead their team to Tokyo, um, which is, that, that's a really hard thing to say no to. Uh, <laughs> games are highly addictive. And Best man for the job, I always say. Yeah, they're highly addictive. And and so I ended up saying yes and coming back and, and uh, day one on the job, I think we shut everything down due to COVID. Day two on the job, the Olympics were postponed for a year. Yeah, that was a tough time. So how did you guys come to work together, Christopher? You know, how long have you guys been working together and how that come about? Yeah, it's been, uh, I think, two and a half years now, Jim, maybe? Yeah, around 17. Yeah, and it was... Uh, it was actually part of the way through the season and, and Jim as you know, USA cycling director would kind of look at our, our training and our power numbers. And I realized, uh, you know, I should utilize him as an asset and ask him about my coaching and, um, see what he thought of it. And, uh, this was June or July, kind of a mid season break. So it was a good time to kind of rethink, um, the approach to things. And, uh, I talked to him and, I mean, the essence of it was like, you can do more basically. Um, <laughs> so I started working with him and the rest of the season, we only had three months till my first U23 Mountain Bike Worlds in Australia. And uh, I think it was kind of a, a little bit of a shock and I, I was ready. F I thought I was ready for it, but, um, you know, I was doing, I was doing four hour rides. And at the time, like, I was like, man, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mountain bike racer and I'm not riding trails. Like I'm going out training really hard and I'm doing this workout that is 10 by six minutes with three minutes at tempo in between. And, um, like, what did I get into? <laughs> so I think like anybody who switches to gym, um, they kind of may go through a transition period where they like kind of assimilate the mental fortitude, you know, and, um, discipline on it. And I think over the next, whatever, six months until the start of the next season, I was in that place and now we're really in a groove and, um, yeah, we're working really well together. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good point about transitioning to almost a whole new system, right? Where did you come from? Was it all on your own haphazard? Did you have a coach? No. Oh, yeah. So I had a, a great coach in Dario Frederick, um, the whole athlete mountain bike team. Um, I was on whole athlete for, uh, let's see, three or four years. Um, the program has since gone away, but it was, it was, uh, largely the best mountain bike development team in the U S. Um, and I just, yeah, I think like athletes, especially when they're going into under 23, sometimes change is a good thing. Um, and I recognize that and went with Jim. So, um, I had, uh, I had had a coach, you know, various coaches in different senses of the word since I was five years old racing BMX, like 
the coaches in BMX would, uh, <laughs> <laughs> different world. I mean, they would, uh, load you in the gate and yell yeah, at you and there's, there's a lot of mental toughness there. You kind of like your, uh, you know, um, coach Carter, basketball coach, maybe like making you, you do full laps, you know, like suicides of basketball. So, um, yeah. And I had, uh, as I kind of transitioned to the endurance side of things, like gotten more specific with coaching, but Jim was a real step up. So it sounds like you had a history there, even on the data side, you've been collecting data. Um, Jim, you got to start with a collection of data. How talk, talk to us about, you know, bringing on new athletes. I mean, how is that from the coach side of things? Yeah. I always look at data <clears throat> and I'm and almost always before I talk to an athlete, I'll look and see what they've been doing. Uh, see how that relates to their racing. Um, if their training is matching the racing, uh, I make my own determination whether I think they've, they've aerobically developed or they've anaerobically developed how they're getting the results where I think I could make a difference for them. And then, and then I'll generally try to, facilitate some sort of discussion some way shape or form uh if i think there's more there and you know really i think as a coach one of the big roles is to to push and challenge and encourage and uh try to get more out of an athlete than they think they're they're capable of giving and that's that's the that's the big challenge there data initially well data throughout the whole thing plays a big role but but initially uh you find somebody that's that's really efficient on the bike. They're aerobically pretty sound. They anaerobically are capable. Um, you might not be able to make a huge difference with them. They may be doing what they're capable of. And in which case, then they've got a good coach and you just encourage them to stay with the coach and, and do their thing. But occasionally you run across uh, some athletes that you think you can actually get a lot more out of than what they've got out of themselves. And, and uh, for me, that's where it always starts with the data there. Well, there's so much more than just the data as well. I mean, talk to me about communications. Um, how do you guys communicate? How often how, has that transformed over the years? Um, did you just click? You know, how? Talk to us about that side of the the soft skills, if you will, of coaching relationships. Yeah, um, I'll start. I think uh, you know, depending on the athlete and kind of how they're wired, there's a different relationship or you know, kind of need, I, I guess to you know, talk to the coach after every workout. Um, and it sort of like varies depending on the time of the year and, and where we're at. Like if I'm in a solid training block and, um, I understand the intent of every day and, uh, you know, I can just go at it and kind of knock them out and check in with Jim after. And, um, I think generally I'm, I'm probably more, um, low key and, 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 and less involved than, than some athletes. It's just kind of, how I'm wired, but like when it comes to like a, a real important day, a real big interval day or a target kind of block, like I text him right away. And, uh, and I think I've gone to a point where, um, I, I'm excited when I, when I get a good workout or when I get through a block, it feels like an accomplishment, like winning a race. Yeah. So we can kind of revel in that a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah. And then, and then, you know, race weekends, we're in communication about the course and, even though Jim's not there, I think he can always kind of check up on the blind spots and talk strategy. And that's a real benefit. Um, and just putting me in a, in a mental headspace to, to go after it. So. Yeah. Jim, uh, how about from your side? You know, that's yeah, good. Um, you know, I can tell you within five minutes of talking to somebody, whether I can coach him or not. Uh, and it's really whether or not that those personalities jive and, 
And uh, you can you can force communication. You can uh, make communication happen. But if it flows really easy, the first five minutes, I'm like, yeah, I can coach that person. Yeah. Um, for me, the because ultimately, I think when I when you get into coaching and the art of coaching, uh, the relationship is really critical, and it's really hard to uh, challenge somebody and push them and get them to do something they don't want to do, or get them to believe in themselves or motivate them if you don't have that relationship. But for me, uh, you know, when people ask me what I would think that I get different results, I think it's always because I, I have these relationships that uh, I understand and then know how to uh, uh, motivate somebody. And so if you, if you can't have that, then for me, it doesn't work. It, it can work for other people. But for me, that has to be a, a key essential part. Yeah, it's not, yeah, just, it's one, not just one directional. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, like Chris said, with, with training, I mean, I, I literally anticipate the afternoon when, when training starts rolling in and power files start getting uploaded uh, to see what they did. And, and I know on big, hard days that, that uh, I, I literally can hardly wait to see what they did. Yeah. And when it comes no, in, then, yeah, it's a quick... It's a little evil, I will see. <laughs> I know, but, it but is. When they, when they crush it, it's a quick text. It's just like, awesome job with something like that. And... And you can move on about the day. If it didn't go so well, then you can make an, a, a quick assumption whether you, that requires a phone call or that requires just a, a positive text, something like that nature. But um, yeah. I know the feeling, kind of scheduling your day almost around your athlete's day. You know when yeah. that data is going to come in, when those training peaks notifications are going to hit your 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 own text inbox, and even when they're in Europe, you know. They, you know, that time difference is actually kind of a benefit. You get to wake up at seven and maybe watch a race on live stream or see the files coming in. You know, that's yep. kind of fun stuff. Do both watch the race and check out the files. Yeah. And I've seen you, Jim, you know, be, you know, in Colorado Springs, texting somebody on the sidelines, maybe a, a parent, you know, and giving them like, tell, you know, tell them, yeah, all the time. Slow down or go now yeah. or whatever. That's the great thing about technology these days. You can you can you can see more of the race than the directors can. Yep. And and you're doing it in your computer at home in your in your sweatpants. Yeah. You guys have had, I'm sure, all kinds of you know, deep conversations. There was a time period in twenty eighteen when you were racing for what was it, Hagen's Berman action on the road, um, but also racing a mountain bike and you're facing this choice that was imminent of which do I choose, you know, at some point you have to really choose road or mountain bike in 2018. I know you raced the U S pro challenge and I don't know if you know it, Christopher, but I was in the follow <laughs> vehicle with your father and Jim in the Vale time trial that year. Yeah. Not, not my best time trial. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that was maybe your, one of your last big international road races yeah, possibly. It was, um, <clears throat> it, it was my last, the last stages I've done last big one. Um, so yeah. what was, yeah, go on, talk yeah, to us so about that decision. You're, you're getting with that. So, yeah. Um, it was, uh, to preface, you know, I was really fortunate to be able to do both, um, mountain and road the first two years. And that's really all thanks to, to Axel Merckx and the program and the flexibility he gave me to, to raise mountain biking costs. Um, and I, I recognized kind of, I was in a unique position and, um, I definitely, you know, thought about it a lot the first two years and which one I was going to go to. And, um, the normal kind of 
flow is to, to, you know, go to the world tour or try to go to the world tour. So I think a lot of people expected me to, to do that and eventually just drop off on the Melmic side. Um, and you know, Jim was kind of a sounding board for it when I was going through this thought process, but it kind of, it came down to, um, me feeling like mountain bike was, uh, both something that I'm, I'm can be the best at, like for me, I mean, um, with kind of bike handling skills growing up in Durango and a unique opportunity to go after the Olympics. Um, and, uh, I kind of sensed that there was this growing from the ground up tide of mountain biking, um, in the U S and in the world. So I think that's going to continue and mountain biking will be a more frontal facing discipline. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time for me to switch. Sometimes I miss the team aspect of the road. You know, I may hop back in for some stuff in the future, but, um, I, uh, I made the decision actually in Colorado. Um, that's when I had told Axel mm. and then it was like all focused to switch on worlds from then on. So, right. Yeah. And you went on to get silver medal mm-hmm. a few months mm-hmm. later in, was that Switzerland world yep. championships? Mm-hmm. Yep. So was that the first kind of big international breakthrough result on the mountain bike side? I had had, um, as a junior, I, I won Alpstadt junior world series, basically world cup. And then I was fourth at world champs that year as an 18 year old. Um, and then I was second at the Mount St. Anne world cup, um, which was right before Colorado classic, I want to say. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, Linger Hyde was certainly the, you know, the best one. So, so Jim, tell us the, you know, the magnitude of that result, you know, getting silver at the world championships, you know, U23, but still world championships. How many American men have, you know, reached that level? Jeez, I think the last U23 cross country world championship medal was maybe Walker Ferguson in 2000, 2001, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so it had been a while, but, uh, you know, like, like Chris had mentioned, everybody, we, we'd had a lot of really good mountain bike athletes come through, uh, juniors and U 23s and migrate to the road. Um, and I, I precisely remember the conversation about mountain bike and road with Christopher and, and I think I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, what do you love more? And he was like, I love mountain bike riding. <laughs> And I'm like, then do mountain bike riding, race mountain bikes. And he's like, yeah, but you can make money on the road. And everybody says, go to the road. And then, and I'm like, but a, a piece of advice I give everybody is, is if your personal goals line up with the team's goals, you'll always be happy in the team, regardless of the money. If your personal goals don't line up with the team's goals, you'll always be unhappy regardless of the money. And I'm like, you, with Chris, I was like, you, you're at this unique position where you could literally qualify for the Olympic Games in three months or in three years. Uh, if you love mountain biking, just do it for three years and see what happens. You can always go back to the road. And I will say every conversation I have with world tour teams about riders, uh, inevitably, Chris's name is brought up, like what's Chris Blevins doing? So it's not that you have to choose. You may have to focus on something, but you don't have to choose. Mm-hmm. And Chris can go back to the road. Chris can, can have a lucrative road career if he wishes. 
Or I think he can have a lucrative non-bug for if he wishes as well. I don't think that Nino or Julian or uh, Fluckinger, any of these guys are, are hurting for uh, lifestyle, if you will. <laughs> They're making great livings. They have great jobs. They get to hang out at great race venues. They get to ride great trails. That's a great lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I remember exactly the conversation. And, and I remember when he came back and said, I'm going to do mountain biking for a couple of years then and, and try it. And uh, I'm also really good friends with Axel. And Axel was like, did you talk him into this? And <laughs> I was like, he'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah. But, uh, awesome. yeah I think that result in Linsra Hyde, I mean, if it does anything, it shows you what's possible. It shows you mm-hmm. what, what you're capable of. And as soon as you see what you're capable of, then you can believe in what you're doing. And that went from, uh, am I doing the right thing to, holy crap, I made the right decision and I'm absolutely on the right track. Yeah. Definitely put you on the map, obviously, for the Olympic long team um, selection, which you're currently at that stage. But tell the listeners, what does that mean? You know, maybe, Jim, you might be the best possibly here. Um, How many are on the long team? What are the next steps? Obviously, COVID plays a big part of this. You know, the Olympics are now extended another year out into 2021. Does that change, you know, how we select the Olympic team? It doesn't change how we select the Olympic team. The long team is basically a a long list of names that can potentially make the final team. Uh, It's like like your football roster in August 1st is is 50 players. It's narrowed down to 50 players, but... um, you'll have 11 starters. So it's, it's just a long list of who could potentially be in that team. Uh, with, with COVID, then it, it added another year to this process and it added two more World Cups um, in 2021 that are, that are part of the process and then they make the selection. Um, so honestly, it's a, it, it really is a big honor and it's a big honor to be named to that team. Uh, and to do so to... Uh, Christopher's age is also huge. I mean, that's super young guy in a really big position. Back to the selection process. Are there world cups planned world championships? How are we going to go about seeing, you know, the, the, that roster develop, um, through racing? Yeah. Uh, at the end of this year, you have two world cups, uh, in Nova Mesto and a world championship. They're at least still on the calendar. I uh, will see so how the next is that October goes. or when you end say of end September, of year? 1st of October. Okay, um, coming up. And then in 2021, you have two World Cups that were added to the nation's rank for Olympic qualifying. And then you have a World Championship. So after the World Championship next uh, April, May, I don't know the exact date, um, then that team is named. Okay, so no World Championship this year. Uh, there is a World Championship this year, but it's not, they're, not a, they're not automatic criteria. Okay. So, I mean, racing is coming, even though, you know, we are in COVID, you are obviously in this state of race prep and peaking. I mean, end of September is definitely around the corner. Um, so in a way, it, it really did it derail you a whole lot? I mean, or has it just been a, okay, we haven't been racing, but we're, we're training as if we're racing. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been a great opportunity for me, I think this year and, uh, working with Jim you know, I think there's a certain amount of adaptability and goal setting in training that makes this time period, um, 
a real advantage. So we've had a couple training blocks and uh, <laughs> Strava hunts that kind of have become goals themselves. So we just finished a couple weeks ago. Um, it was two real weeks all out sort of a grand tour style training block, but, um, three weeks of three really big weeks. And, um, I really had to dig deep to, to get through this training block and it felt like a race and it kind of was something to train for and motivate myself for. So, um, I think that I've kind of formed a new relationship with, with training and the process this year. Um, I've been more, I just nose to the grindstone and, and more curious about everything um, and enjoying it. So that's, I think, you know, something that will pay dividends in the future. Um, how I approach the process now is hopefully how I can, can continue. Um, and now I think we're at this point, like we're all, we're, we're pointing straight ahead towards the, um, towards the world cup season, two races right. and world champs. So I'm going back to Durango uh, today and, We'll kind of go into rocky mode and <laughs> just do some specific training and then fly over to Europe. So Jim, walk us through the decision-making. Why, uh, I think I heard a three-week block just mm -hmm. ended. Big training block. I don't, what does big mean? Quantify that a bit for us and, and the purpose of it and the timing of it. Yeah. Um, so with, with guys Chris's age, if they're in the world tour, and they don't get to race a grand tour, uh, which a lot of them don't. Uh, they, and, and if their peers do, they literally start falling behind their peers in ability and uh, what they can accomplish until they start getting grand tours as well. So, so these grand tours have this uh, amazing ability to transform an athlete to the next level immediately. Uh, once you recover from them, that's the challenge. Right. Uh, so typically, in, in like in, especially this year, Chris would have had no opportunity to do that. Uh, ideally, it would have been, you know, a bunch of training, racing, world championship, uh, and Olympic games, and then probably, well, after the Olympic games and the original schedule, there was a whole World Cup season and world championship. So there was a lot going on, uh, and it would have been an opportunity. But now you throw in COVID, you hit reset. You, you know, initially we took a break just straight away, like pulled the pin uh, a couple of weeks off the bike, do whatever you want to do. And we'd, we'll come back and start over. Uh, and then we got to this point where like, you know, we could fit a grand tour in here. And if you come off it at a higher level, then you'll come into this, uh, what's left of this season at a higher level than, than you probably would have if we hadn't done this. Uh, and I do this a lot with riders where we'll, we'll simulate a grand tour. I basically take uh, a Giro and build out the entire weeks according to that Giro. So what the TSS would be, what the distance would be, what the hours would be, what the intensity would be. Um, and you do it and you replicate it and you follow it. Uh, and it, it feels like a grand tour. At the end of it, you, you've essentially ridden 100 hours uh, with intensity, with, with the load. And then if you, and then you spend the next seven, 10, 14 days recovering and almost always step up to another level right away. So is this, was this exclusively on the road bike? We, uh, no, we did a couple of mountain bike days. Um, I kind of took advantage and did some point to point days that I've been dreaming of on the bucket list. So 
Like one was the Los Padres Traverse, which is 85 miles and 11,000 feet of climbing on the mountain bike on this super rugged dirt road um, by Santa Barbara. So like, and then we had a mock, I do this loop in San Luis Obispo. It's kind of a mock XC. Um, so we had a couple mountain bike days. Got it. And are you doing this with other guys? I mean, not too many people can take that kind of volume. Yeah, I recruited some people. There's some uh, some some fast people in San Luis Obispo. Lance Hybit, the current under-23 road national champion, um, one of my best friends and probably closest training partner. Um, he was there for some days, and then some people from the bike shop who are Cat 1, really good climbers. Uh, <laughs> the last day, um, we had a couple days like this, but... Basically, I tried to race. We raced for the whole four hours, and uh, I basically did like the dumbest tactics possible. Essentially, just pull yeah. the Kill entire time, right. and then I'd let them attack me. And then, as soon as I got you know back on their wheel, I'd have to go to the front again, and then they'd attack me again thirty seconds later. So <laughs> um, that was that was good, and having some motivation and people to mobilize was was awesome. But. Yeah, when there's no money on the line, you can actually dig and go harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's all about the recruitment of the training partners in that three week block. Uh, right. If you can interject fresh guys every every day, every other day, it, it makes that go much quicker. Uh, but it also makes for much better quality block. How about any moto pacing in there? No, um, but I'm getting my uh, my dad an e bike when I go home, so he's nice. Gonna- Put me through the ringer. Um, Super. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we have some up and coming or, I don't know, young athletes out there, 15, 16 year olds, hopefully watching this. Let's put a little bit of uh, warning out there. Don't do this same thing. Okay. <laughs> There's a handful of guys in America that can do this. So, it, can we translate this to the majority of our listeners? A, a lesson takeaway that they might be able to incorporate into their. Uh, you know, uh, training routine. I think, um, Jim can add to this, but Jim's style of training in, in a large sense is just kind of like build your engine and, um, you know, go out for some big days and make it pretty epic. So if you're 15 and 16, and I think what's super healthy for, for kids that age is like, you're not staring at your Wahoo or Garmin the whole time and press and lap. Um, and do on intervals the entire time. So mm-hmm. pick a route that you like, pick a Strava segment you want to get and, and go after it and maybe set a week where you do bigger rides and push yourself a bit. But, um, there's a fine continuous balance between working really hard and, um, and recovering and, and being sure that you're taking care of yourself both mentally and physically. So, um, but yeah, I, I, lo- I really, especially this year, like the idea of, you know, carving out your own route you know, bringing friends along for it and, and just going. I think that's yeah. uh, undervalued in training sometimes. I would, I would highlight like big bold letters and yellow highlighter have fun. If yeah. Bike racing and riding bikes is fun. As soon as it's not fun, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So what do you not like about training, Christopher? I mean, there's, are you doing strength work during different times of the year? What, what is kind of the hard parts of training that you don't really look forward to if there are any? Yeah. Um, I think 
I mean, you can easily have a mindset that like you're just taking punches with training and you're just getting beat down and eventually you'll get to like cash out for a race day. Um, and it's all about really how you like, why you're doing it and why you're working hard that day and why you're going to push through that interval after, you know, four hours. Um, and personally, like I have really kind of solidified that in myself and, and, uh, last year, I think I was, um, less sort of motivated and, and passionate about it really. Like, and it was kind of a, a real, um, reorientation to just like doing this for myself and enjoying the process and, um, loving it even when it's extremely hard. So yeah, there are always going to be days inevitably that are, uh, <laughs> just, just, just awful. And you just strength work out the day before and it's 90 degrees and you have to push through that interval. Um, but like personally, you gotta, I have to remember my, my why and, and get through that day and then really sort of celebrate it after. Like if you, if you did what you were supposed to and you, you went deeper than you thought you could, I think, uh, we forget to kind of commend ourselves for that. And that's really important to continue the process. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, the day in day out is also sort of, you have to make it a habit. Um, when you fall off that a little bit, then it feels like an obligation to kind of slug through. So yeah, like I said, there are moments where it sucks, but, um, you get through it and, and, and keep putting just one foot in front of the other. Mm. And Jim, do you prescribe strength training? I mean, is it by individual or what's your thoughts around, around that? Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, I don't actually prescribe it myself. I outsource it to somebody better than I am at that. Um, but work with that person pretty closely on what I'm trying to accomplish and on the bike. And so that it jives with what they're doing in the, in the weight room. Uh, and yeah, I think I'd, I'd go back to also to Chris's point a little bit with, with this and the, you know, strengths often are your weaknesses as well. And discipline is discipline is a strength that if you have it and you're very disciplined it is absolute strength, but it also gets exhausting. Right. And, and, being disciplined every day is difficult. And I think you have to uh, be able to detach from that from time to time and, and be undisciplined and just go with the flow. And that tends to make your discipline even more of a strength when you can do that. Right. So just to, just to real quickly add something to that. Like, I think that um, I try to really have the ability to like turn off from the training. And once I get through that workout, like, you know, I'm done for the day and I can, I don't think about it. I don't obsess over it. And I go hang out with friends who know nothing about what I just did or go watch the Laker game or, you know, sit in class if I have to. So that's really important. It's having other outlets and balance um, and not just continue, you know, constantly focusing on the training. Okay. So how about that recovery time? What's your favorite recovery routines? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, before, before COVID I was getting massages every, uh, like, twice a week and <laughs> dropping a lot of coin on that. But that was huge. Um, I will roll out every day. I've got this, the R eight roller. It's this like spring tension thing. You pull apart and roll out. And then I sit in the Norman tech boots for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour every day when I'm doing homework or whatever. Um, so that's also something you have to make a habit. Like if you're, if it feels like it's just a normal part of the day, it's like brushing your teeth, then it's really easy. 
But if it's something that's kind of foreign to you, then again, it feels like an obligation. All right. So any thoughts around recovery, Jim? Yeah, it's training. Uh, don't forget that it's training. Uh, all your gains are made in recovery, not in the suffering. So uh, don't neglect it. Don't forget about it. Put an emphasis on it. It is, it is a critical piece to the puzzle. Yeah. Christopher, I, I think part of your recovery probably is these other outlets, you know, little brief. Um, can you tell us a bit about um, music side of things in your world? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I love, uh, honestly, I'm equally as passionate about my poetry and music, um, rap really, as I am my cycling. So it's something I do more for myself and it's very introspective and um, personal, but um, I write a lot of songs when I'm on the bike, actually, like long endurance rides. I'll just play a beat and think of some lyrics. Um, but it's it's so different than an athletic endeavor that it really balances things and allows for a different form of expression. So I think you see a lot of cyclists in the world tour specifically because they're so, you know, they have to make so many sacrifices to just ride their bike. You see a lot of athletes with these kind of quirky uh, hobbies that they carry with them. Um, so yeah, no, it's super, uh, it's super important to me. Awesome. Very cool. Um, any last words, advice for young youngsters out there, either of you? I think, uh, man, yeah, I'm getting old. I can, I can start. <laughs> I actually, uh, no way. Oh, yeah, no, it feels like it sometimes when these, these juniors are coming up, I'm actually coaching a couple kids and, oh, um, very cool. Yeah. I think, I think really like I was, I was really touched on earlier. Um, understand why you're doing this and keep your love for it and like protect that and, uh, don't neglect that or get caught up in, you know, external kind of validation. You have to have internal goals that are built on top of your external goals, if that makes sense. So like if you're internally doing this to, to as cheesy as it sounds, be a better kind of more alive person, then you're going to in turn get more, uh, titles from that. So just love what you do, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Good one. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Um, you've got another year ahead of you, Christopher, going for this Olympic dream. Um, but you got more chances after that as well and world championships and all kinds of stuff coming up. So we'll be following you closely. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.